welcome to The Movies That Raise Me. So, we're siblings. We grew up in South London in the late 90s to early noughties. And we want to really get under the skin of the movies that created the sort of realities we aspired to. Um, so, we, we have a great nostalgia for the so period. I love the, the films that brought us here. Um, but we think there's obviously many different themes and issues that come up that may even have created problematic aspirations and realities for, for ourselves and people our age. And I think it's an important thing to talk about. And yeah. I think it's taking pop culture seriously because it played a serious part in our lives That's and our it. development. We kind of want to recast some of those movies that have been perhaps critically written off as... Um, uh, vapid or silly um, and demonstrate the kind of deep and meaningful value they had for us growing up and watching them uh, and the reason we say raised us is because of course we were raised by our parents but we think in a way this sort of Hollywood culture definitely helped drag us up. We were raised by our parents but they often just sat us in front of the TV <laughs> and said just watch this and you'll learn everything you need to know about yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, my name is Sam. And I'm Charlotte. And this is The Movies That Raised Us. Okay, so this week in our first episode, we are going to be discussing the 2001 film Legally Blonde, starring Reese Witherspoon as Elle Woods. Yeah, we've also got Luke Wilson in there as... Yeah. Um, a love interest uh, and there's some other interesting actors who we'll discuss as we go through um, and this movie uh, it's got a special place in my heart because I am blonde and I'm a lawyer just put it out there at the <laughs> beginning um, this this really has raised you this movie I... <laughs> well no but it's interesting isn't it to put that out there at the beginning that we're both coming from slightly different angles and um I can maybe lend more of a uh, a voice of verification. So yeah, this is a movie about a beautiful girl who's blonde, and she ends up at Harvard Law School, despite the fact nobody thinks she could possibly be smart enough to do that, and also becomes an attorney and uh, kind of cuts her own path, um, despite the fact she doesn't typically look like a lawyer or an attorney, as they call them in America. So maybe we should explain uh, a little bit about, in terms of the presentation of wealth, mm. what type of social circles we're dealing with here. Because Elle's boyfriend at the beginning, Warner Huntington III, he takes her out for dinner and he breaks up with her. And what does he say to her, Sam? Why does he break up with her? He needs uh, Jackie, not a Marilyn. <laughs> And that really made me laugh because I was like, oh, that's just based on their hair colour. Yeah. Like, they actually probably both slept with the same person, right? Also, Jackie O was, like, incredibly complicated yeah. and damaged. And so purse. was Marilyn. And so were, so were both of them. So it is purely based on aesthetic, yeah. not personality. And, like, but in a way, it was Hunter saying, this is what I want to identify yeah. as with my wife. So it's purely his girlfriend or his wife as possession and yeah. nothing else. It's and, true. and as status. So in the, um, in the book, when he breaks up with her, 
he returns her a Cartier bracelet that she got for him that has Ellen Warner Forever engraved on. And she's super confused because she's like, what? Why are you giving this back to me? And he's like, well, we both knew this wouldn't be forever, honey, which is what he says in the film. And that moment when he says, I'm going to be a senator by the time I'm 30. I need to stop dicking around, which is impossible because he's just a massive dickhead. That's really insulting to say like, oh, you're my plaything. Um, now I need to get a serious girl. Yeah, and then she starts making a scene and this really made me laugh because she goes, you're breaking up with me because I'm too blonde? Which, you know, he's like, no, no. And then she goes, are my boobs too big? <laughs> Which is just hilarious because it's like, you're in the middle of a restaurant full of people and you're being broken up with. And she's gorgeous. She's so beautiful. And she says, my boobs are too big? You just imagine being in that restaurant like, yeah an idiot what has he done from her um because he's not even that good looking i don't know what you thought of him but yeah i think he was just bland white man i think that was his role to be fair Uh, he he's sort of also someone because if we're talking about presentation of wealth he's trapped in this wealth bubble where he's got expectations so he says it's not like i have a choice here sweetheart well why is that oh, my family's got five generations of senators and my brother just got engaged to a Vanderbilt. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting, actually, how this kind of sets up a dichotomy in American culture that, um, mm. I mean, it's, we do hear about a lot, like the West Coast East, not to be confused with um, rap battles. Okay, or like so rap we're not talking about hip hop. Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> so, but the kind of division between the East Coast being a place of uh, the arts and academia and culture, mm-hmm. and then the West Coast, I guess, we would see that more as like new money, nouveau riche. But because America is all new money, yeah. the only way that they're kind of distinguishing themselves is by saying that like their bloodlines are basically older. So did you notice the bit when Elle goes to the salon to the manicurist to cheer herself up after this horrible dumping, which we've all been there, the bit where she's lying in bed with the chocolates and screams, liar! What was she watching? Did you... I'm not sure. I feel like it's some kind of romantic movie, but uh, I actually don't know. I thought it might be uh, Dawson's Oh, Dawson's Creek. Because it looked like a TV yeah. series, and I know that was popular at the time. Um, so then she goes to the salon with her mates, because uh, that's the only thing that makes them feel better, obviously. Um, I can I can testify that a manicure is pretty relaxing. Have you had one? You know what I haven't, but after this, <laughs> I think I need one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's quite typical, because it's... Um, stereotypical rather it's like the Chinese ladies doing the nails and then her friends start speaking Chinese I'm not sure if that implies that she just visits the the nail salon a lot she opens up hello or or tatler or something and there's a picture of Warner Huntington the third's brother and his new Vanderbilt fiance she turns to the old lady and says she's first year at Stanford Law Yale Law this is what I need to become and the old lady says practically deformed referring to the fact that this girl was obviously from a quote-unquote inbred rich robber baron family um and so there's this sort of interplay between the fact that people from la maybe don't have the historic wealth but they're hot and so she says when she's breaking up with him i'm not good enough for you i grew up across the road from aaron spelling 
I didn't know who that was. He's Tori Spelling's dad. Oh, okay. And he wrote, um, oh, it's a teen show. Like, um, oh, uh, Beverly Hills 90210, the original. Right. Yeah. That does mean a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They're not to the East Coast students. Exactly. They're going to be like, who cares about Bel Air? Like, are you a Vanderbilt or not? Do you own railway lines? Do you have oil? Where's your money? Have you got a hole named after you? That thing about this film that I do think to kind of appreciate what they're trying to say between the East and West Coast, you do need to have some cultural knowledge or some understanding of that relationship. Yeah. I think when I first watched it, that would have gone over my head. Right. That kind of... So is it different between like the kind of um, LA and the Ivy League as well? So the LA universities clearly are known for more about having a good time. Um, so I thought another really interesting thing to talk about when talking about this wealth aspiration and the dichotomy between uh, Elle's background and her ambition, which is Harvard, purely based, by the way, at this point, on the fact she thinks is how to get her boyfriend back. Which, like, I don't know, we want to talk about that a bit later on, yeah. and, like, love and relationships, but it's quite an interesting premise. I, don't, I certainly have never uh, smashed the LSATs for a man's attention, but, like, I, maybe I'm just lazy. I think that's... I mean, this was before dating apps. True. And before catfishing and before Instagram. <laughs> I mean, now she could just make him jealous with yeah. a, a... What are they called? A, a thirst trap. <laughs> 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 exactly. So, um, so instead, she makes a video essay for Harvard that I think majority eighty five percent of the time she's wearing a bikini, um, which is really important actually to her admission to the college. But I thought it was quite interesting that you've got a bunch of old white crusty men sat around in some mahogany lined uh, green velvet room going trying to convince this one guy to let her in saying all these excuses there's one bit where she says i feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life and then some guy skates past and pinches her butt and she goes i object yeah <laughs> which is just ridiculous but the, the professors are saying yeah look at that bikini we should let her in so the whole reason she gets into harvard is it's her assets you it's know? her assets yeah. Uh, as, never had a fashion as the Daily Mail would say, assets. Um, but there's a real there's the where she's punched is so LA because she sent a movie that's basically like a what do you call it a reel, yeah, whatever it is that actors have, and then all these stuffy old Harvard types are kind of having their socks blown off. Did you notice a bit when they're watching the her video essay and one of the guys says? Oh, well, we do need diversity. That's first. Yeah. We've never had a fashion major. Well, why not now? We need diversity. And I I did think that kind of sums up a lot of the fact that their idea of diversity is just a rich girl, but from, from a, a, different place. a different place. And, I mean, there's a bit where her dad actually says, um, as I've written down yet, law school is for people who are ugly, boring, and serious. Darling, <laughs> you're none of those things. And, I mean, at least... I'm, he has some aspiration for his daughter, but well, it, his it's parents, not... Her parents are disappointed that she's not going to be a model because she's won all these modelling competitions and her mum is clearly betrayed. Her mum is also the teacher of the Bend and Snap. Her parents are kind of disappointed that she wants to be ugly, boring and serious. Um, and serious is this whole theme. She's 
just not serious because she's from LA. That's not a serious place to be from. You know, you can't make it at Harvard. They just won't take you seriously. And she's constantly being told that. But what I love about it is that she just doesn't, she doesn't see a barrier. Maybe that is a privileged thing. So in this section, we're going to discuss the presentation of college and then the presentation of legal law school and the legal profession uh, that comes after that. Uh, so starting off with the presentation of college, having rewatched the film, I don't know about you, Charlotte, but mm. I was quite struck by um, that she was actually coming from quite a good academic place. I, I think my memory of the film was that she, you know, didn't have any kind of aspiration before that, but she had a 4.0 grade point average. But she did study fashion merchandising. That's true, and I'm, I'm not American, but I know 4.0 is like the, it's like a first in the UK, that's... Well, as the, um, as the guidance counsellor says to dear Elwoods, they're not going to be impressed at Harvard that you smashed History of Polka Dots, which was a classic kind of one-liner, um, very uh, zingy, and kind of not what you'd expect from your guidance counsellor. Perhaps she could have put her down a, l a little more gently. Yeah, her guidance counsellor seemed uh, quite apathetic. Yeah, well, it's actually, I think, a bit of a trope. If you remember, um, was it was it, uh, Mean Girls or um, Gossip Girl or something where they have a sort of perennially uh, harried guidance counsellor who is just always exasperated by these irritating high school students. I mean, neither of us went to an American college, mm. but I think we're quite used to that kind of image of fraternities and sororities. And I mean, at least at the beginning, I instantly was rem knew where I was in that world. So we open with an iconic track. It's a perfect day. Um, and a shot of perfectly blow-dried, very blonde hair, a French manicure on uh, this person's hands, screams Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan flushing her pants as she slips out a cab, and definitely vocal fry. We learn our hero's name from an envelope which is delivered to her across campus, and so we get this sort of panorama of campus with uh, frat boys drinking beer and uh, partying. We've got girls in the sorority house working out. They're probably doing the Tracy Anderson method, if anyone remembers that. No? I don't remember the Tracy Anderson <laughs> method. Charlotte, what is the Tracy Anderson method? So the Tracy Anderson method, and I think that um, the one of the characters in the film, who becomes important later on, might be based on Tracy Anderson. Uh, and she was Gwyneth Paltrow's personal trainer. So she became very famous in the noughties because everybody was asking, how does Gwyneth Paltrow get this amazing figure? Well, we now know it's vaginal steaming and um, a very restrictive diet probably good genetic uh and tracy's still about i had a google so i used to have her dvd as well okay so it's very intense aerobic style workout um with tiny weights and tiny shorts and she uh also prescribed quite a uh, restrictive diet i think it was like 1000 calories a day only spinach anyway so it it was really evocative for me of that scene all the girls in the sorority house in their tiny shorts on the cross trainer um, and like you say, we didn't have that college experience because we didn't go to a... Well, they're Delta Nu, aren't they? That's their name, the yeah. sorority, which is based on a different real sorority. 
Um, I mean, Charlotte here was she a captain? Am I right? Or I was secretary. Secretary. Okay. So you were the Hillary Clinton of. <laughs> of the cheer world didn't have any pantsuits i would say there were parts of the film and we can go back to the beginning bit but there were parts of the film with the character i've forgotten her name do you remember the character of the frizzy hair who's who's a lesbian oh enid the angry feminist so because her angry feminism it was quite funny to watch because i felt like that would have been quite an appropriate um take or mocking of the kind of stereotype of the snowflake woke student uh, I know when she's complaining about the term semester that that's got I don't know, phallic connotations. Okay, so says maybe you wrote down something. <laughs> phallic. I did. Let's talk about this because okay. I think it's quite funny. Um, so we it's during a, another classic kind of very t- stereotypical scene for a naughty's movie, the Halloween party. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it was a Halloween party, but it's definitely a party where somebody gets the wrong costume memo um and we hear enid who is the um the the classic angry feminist kind of meme so yeah i i noted that she had started a campaign called lesbians against drink driving yeah so that's how she introduces herself so that's quite um interesting and i i found that they were I don't know if they were actively mocking identity... Well, they were mocking identity politics, but probably before identity politics was even a thing anyone talked about. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, Because she says, you know, uh, I have my PhD in women's studies, which immediately tells you what kind of person she is. Um, And she single-handedly helped organise the march for (laughs) lesbians against drunk driving. Um, (laughs) The, the the thought of someone saying that sentence now, I mean, you'd be like, what? Or yeah. at least, I don't know, it sounds very, like you say, social justice warrior, wokest of the woke, but actually this is way before, well, way before we think that occurred. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps it's reality coming true. Maybe all of the social justice warriors were inspired by Enid. There's some trivia I found about that scene. So Enid Wexler at the party is telling Elle's ex-boyfriend Warner, we'll talk about Warner as well because mm. he really feeds into the um, the presentation of wealth and class and the legal profession, but she's having a go kind of bending his ear about the term semester. She said it. even the term semester shows the oppression of women in the English language because she thinks it means semen. Well, actually, and then she's starting a campaign to have it changed to Ovester as a reference to her ovum. But in reality, the word semester means a six-month period, coming from other Latin roots, ultimately including the same base for month, mensis, as menstruation. So in a sense, the word is actually more feminine than it is masculine, because the mester comes from menstruation, meaning month, six months, six menstruations. I've got actually got some extracts of the book up here um and this is from the early scenes in the movie where Elle is preparing for her big date with Warner she's very excited all of her sorority sisters they deliver a card to her that says good luck good luck tonight Elle with your big date Elle and Warner forever and now of course we know this is a bit of foreshadowing um but so in the beginning of the book uh, chapter one opens with Elle and her friends talking about 
their breasts. At least mine won't sag, Serena pointed to her saline-enhanced chest. My boobs are as perky as the day I put them on my credit card. And they're like, so what if they never sag? Margot said, unimpressed. They're hard as rocks. They're also blocking the only natural light in this room, Elle whispered to Underdog, who I think is the name of Bruiser in the book, which is not a good name. Underdog. I can understand why they changed the name. Yeah, so it says Elle refused to get involved in the debate about this girl's breasts because her father, the trendy Beverly Hills plastic surgeon Dr. Wyatt Woods, known among the nip and tuck crowd as the best for breasts, had done Serena's work. So we're talking about a world in which your dad gives your friends boob jobs um, for a start. And here's a description of Elle to tell you how she looked. Elle appraised her appearance once again in the mirror and decided she needed a bit more blush. Her long blonde hair gleamed and framed her heart-shaped face. Reese Witherspoon does have a heart-shaped face, so that, that is right. Her flawless and fair complexion was set off by huge, deep blue eyes that shone with kindness, and her size two figure was perfectly forged into her red slip dress. So this is so of its time to have the size that this girl is inserted into the sentence, and everything about it for me just evokes like the simple life, Paris Hilton, um, the hills, the kind of things that we were consuming as young people um, in the sort of MTV environment where things like your dress size were a badge of honour. Things like what colour your hair was were incredibly important. What shape your face was. You'd read Cosmo Girl and measure your face to see if it was heart or oval. But thing about Ellis, she's always about telling people what looks good, how to make themselves, how to improve their appearance, or bend and snap so that a man notices them. So she's playing into the paradigm of, you know, patriarchal, uh, the male gaze, but yet she does it from a place of wanting to uplift other women. And I think that was actually quite rare to see in a film of this era. Moving on from college, the legal profession, and the way that law school is portrayed. Obviously in America, everybody does a first degree, a bachelor's, and then if they want to be a lawyer, they go to law school and do one or two years, or three or four years at Harvard. So they study for a lot longer, and it's obviously a lot more expensive and competitive. So just to be clear, in America, you usually do four years, right, in yeah. your undergrad. And then if you want to do something more specific, you go to a grad school. Yeah. So it's probably less likely there for people to major in law, but that's yeah. probably something people do do, but yeah, you, it doesn't really matter what you yeah. major in. Okay. <clears throat> Whereas in this country, in the UK, you uh, can study law as an undergrad, or you can study practically anything else and then convert, which is what I did. Uh, so when I first started working in law, or like, at, let's just say, I'm not saying that it's because I'm blonde, but I... People did wonder why I'd come from history of art, something quite creative, into law. And I have had people ask me before, yeah, did you just wake up one day and decide, oh, I want to be a lawyer? Because a lot of parts of my personality are incongruent with a lot of the things that lawyers are known for. And that's something that Elle makes a really good statement about at the end when she says, Aristotle says, law is reason free from passion, but actually you need passion. And I think that is something that could be carried over. It's, it's not necessarily about what you look like and where you come from, but do you have the analytical skills? Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to put in the hours? There was, incidentally, a girl 
at my law school who dress like in full legally blonde outfits every day and Amazing. had blonde hair and loads of makeup on and like she was very gorgeous she was lot like she was like tall skinny model type but um people would be like oh legally blonde all the time so you know that shows the legacy of it doesn't it yeah and even if i mean if she was inspired by legally blonde well, i'm not I saying she was, was but then that that shows that it's a great legacy that it it shows people that they can be lawyers no matter what you look like. But I did. But in terms of the law in the film. Yes. I was going to say quickly yeah. that I think you raise an interesting point in that law is generally seen as a very. something you study with ambitions for a long time. Mm-hmm. So even when people apply to law school when they're in their 21 or whatnot, um, they probably have been expected to do internships and placements at law firms yeah. and that's something that l seems to have completely override yeah. uh, i can actually understand why people at the law school would be like why is she here yeah. because we've been i was been doing this since i was 10 years old and i've done placements at every law firm and exactly yeah i hadn't done any placements i was really lucky to get my job when i did um, and so people even still ask me that, like, oh, when did you do your work experience here? I didn't. Um, and that's surprising because that's normally how you get in. So there are quite a few prescribed routes and it's probably the same in America. In fact, probably worse. Um, so they, they talk about it there. So uh, we meet her professors when she gets to law school and uh, she sees Warner in the corridor and he says, oh, what are you doing here? And she says, Warner, I forgot you go here. I go here. And he just can't get his head around it. Um, and he said, you got into Harvard? What, like it's hard? Is what Elle says. And that is honestly like something you can find probably that most female lawyers my age, millennials or whatever, would have written on a mug or on a t-shirt or have rehashed on Instagram because it's like iconic. You want to wake up and be Elle when she confronts Warner in the corridor. Like what, like it's hard? Because it was just a moment that we all go like, yes. Um, there's um, quite a few of those moments in the movie. But yeah, so then as this is her first day and we can tell that she's serious because she's wearing a smoking jacket and fake glasses um, and carrying a handbag. She turns up in her lecture and everybody's got a laptop, but she's got a pink notebook with a heart on. And this is kind of So like, naughties. So naughty. She's funky. Got the is pen. it called funky? Or what was it? Funky chick. Funky chick. Funky chick. <laughs> Fun- Funky chick. Fun- groovy chick. Groovy chick. Groovy yeah, chick. Groovy chick. Sorry. Uh, yeah, she gave me v- groovy chick vibes. Very groovy yeah. chick vibes. Stationary. Yeah. Stationary. I mean, it's to die for. It's brilliant. But, um, of course, it doesn't help her because she hasn't done any of the pre-reading because she clearly didn't know what she was signing up for. That did surprise me that she could get to that point. Because, you know, Think of all the admin you have to go through and everything. She's got there and she, she hasn't seen what... I don't, in my time at university, it was called Blackboard. I guess they probably didn't have an electronic server then. Maybe they did. No. But the assignments were all put on Blackboard. But the fact that she didn't find Blackboard... Well, no, like, she was just concerned her social events calendar was missing when she arrived. Yeah, um, I, I guess she just was blazing through and yeah. didn't think, oh... She probably got a load of emails and they were in her junk. But her fashion major was there no reading? <laughs> was it just pictures of polka dots? Sorry, I'm I'm really going for the holes in this film at yeah, this point. But and do it because <laughs> you know, as much as I really like some parts of it, you have to really suspend your disbelief in many ways. 
Um, and that's kind of the theme of our podcast, I think, to the point that we all suspended disbelief so far that we thought this world might actually exist. Yes. And so in terms of the her first day at law school, yeah. how does that hold up to a well, law lecture or seminar? I think it's like you said, actually, about the admin. And I guess the reason is admin just isn't sexy. But the first day of law school is like turning up, getting a load of books, trying to find a locker, signing loads of forms, getting your schedules, getting... It's not <laughs> turn up and um, go straight into a lecture with the one of the hardest as professors like immediately goes in and uh starts having to go l for not having read anything well we don't know out of context i mean maybe she's been there for two weeks already maybe she got all the books and just didn't look at them but um she asks them about uh so on the board is written subject matter jurisdiction this is quite this is an american thing uh we do have jurisdiction probably have some subject matter jurisdiction here although i don't uh do criminal or tort cases but she is talking about basically the reach of a court's power. And so I looked up the case that she referenced, Gordon and Steele. Well, in America, they call it Gordon versus Steele. So in the UK, we have, say it was me and you, Sam v. Charlotte. Say it, Sam and Charlotte. Oh. But in the United States, they thought, because the V actually stood for a, a different word in Latin, but they, they adopted it as versus. Oh, wow. Mm. So the V was like an ampersand or something. Basically, yeah. And then uh, America adopted it as versus. That's the most American thing. Yeah, it's so American. Um, So in the UK, you'd say and, and then in criminal cases, the crown against. But they say steel, Gordon versus steel. So I looked up the case and (laughs) it's quite funny because she asks Elle, um, in Gordon versus steel, did subject, she asked, sorry, first she asks Elle, has she done the reading? Elle says no. And then Vivian Kensington, who I suppose we can talk about now. She's the sort of Vanderbilt on the scene. She's Warner Huntington III's new fiance. She's got the rock. Yes. And this is actually something we we can talk about later. But I, why are they getting engaged so young? I, it's <laughs> yeah. so bizarre. He throws Elle right under yeah. the bus. And, and, and <laughs> I think that's really bad, that, that kind of... Because I don't think anybody would actually be that rude. But perhaps she knows who... L is and doesn't like her. No, she doesn't she... know who she is yet at that point. Because they get introduced just after. Is, no, they don't know who each other are. This girl's just rude. Um, so she throws L under the bus and then the professor asks Vivian, What's that did subject matter jurisdiction exist in Gordon versus Steele? And she says, No. But the actual answer is yes. We looked it up. So subject matter jurisdiction basically means if you want to sue someone on a federal level, you have to prove that there's diversity. So you have to prove that one's based in one state and one's based in another in order for federal law to take effect because the states have their own law. So if you want to sue someone in your own state, you just sue them under your state law. But if you want to sue someone in a separate state, you have to use federal law because the states have different law, but federal is the same for them all. Sort of like if we wanted to sue someone in Germany, you'd use EU EU law. Okay, yeah. And in that case, they found that it was diverse and the defendant and the claimant or plaintiff, as they call it in America, lived in different states. So subject matter jurisdiction did exist. So uh, that's very boring for anyone who's not interested. But essentially, the film was wrong. I have some less detailed questions about law in the film, more trivial questions, but that really stuck out for me. 
Okay, should Elle have just been talking about the legal case in a nail salon and mentioning names? Nah, what if someone hears you? Surely that's like the first rule, don't leave. I mean, I know of a partner at a firm who was working on a small island, a tax haven style island, and he got on the plane, got out his laptop and was typing, working on the case, sat behind him, happened to be someone who worked at the client, and because he didn't put his privacy screen on his laptop, she could see everything he was typing. So she called in a complaint to the SRA, the um, regulatory body for solicitors, to, to report this guy for breaching client confidence. It's serious. You can't go around, you know, like, because when I talk to you, I'd never say who the people are. I say, oh. And I was thinking, Charlotte doesn't tell me any of this while we're getting <laughs> our nails done. Obviously, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, so you're completely right. She should not be talking about Brooke out loud. Um, who is her client, who is the defendant in a murder trial. I do have another question. Yeah, hit me. Can you bring a dog into a courtroom? <laughs> oh, that's an interesting one. I don't know about in America, but in the UK, only I think if you have, you're blind or a ferret dog. Maybe it's a ferret um, dog. Yeah, and, and, and there's a lot of places she took that dog because I don't think you should take a dog. But you cannot hate on the stereotype of a chihuahua in a bag because it's so Paris Hilton. You've got to love it. Yeah, I, I think uh, Bruiser is that his Bruiser. Name? Bruiser is probably my favorite character. So, um, yeah, me too. He's amazing. So yeah, the bit in the courtroom where she um, the Bruiser just runs in, I think is is highly unrealistic. Okay. Um, as is well, there were some other bits that um, I thought as well would really, in reality, wouldn't happen and but destroy the plot. For example, in what universe? Does a professor who's also a partner in a law firm hire first-year students who don't even know that? How many we've seen them have about five lectures? He's still asking them about. Would you rather have a client who cr committed a like regulatory crime or a higher-level crime? You know the whole malice prohibitum, malice. I can't remember the other one. This film does use a lot of legal terms um, that obviously it's to show that Elle does, like, is kind of using them to sound smart or whatnot. Like when she goes to the trailer and she um, gets the dog oh, back. Oh, yeah. Right. That's, I found that funny because um, I have to sign a piece of paper as a lawyer to say that you won't threaten people with like fake legal terms basically to make them scared like you're not supposed to do that it's a it's a uh, regulatory breach of like your duties as a lawyer so you're not supposed to if i was on a night out and someone if we went on a night out and somebody started attacking me and i was like stop i'm a lawyer and i can sue you i'll sue you for everything you're worth i'll put you in prison you're not supposed to do that i'm better off true. pretending to be a lawyer yeah right? basically yeah okay. yeah i mean i could you know tell them the truth but it's probably like well the case will probably fall through and like the, the trial will take months and months and there'll be no actual evidence apart from our hearsay. So. Do you think then, okay, this is completely off topic, but just out of curiosity, if that did occur, then I assume the best thing to do would be to get your phone out and film it because then you're creating yeah, evidence. A hundred percent. I think so. Yeah. So um, don't pretend to be a lawyer, film it. So um, there's another bit where she... So there's a bit I really respected, which is in the second montage of the film, which is the uh, law school montage. 
and she is at one point is it a cross trainer or a treadmill she's got yeah and she's listening to something like a podcast or the radio i think she's watching the news she's watching the news to become you know more yeah. commercially aware while she's reading a book on the cross trainer and i just really appreciated that level of multitasking i mean personally i think multitasking is a myth uh perpetuated by the patriarchy to keep women busy um oh yes or to just be like oh you can do this task because you're a woman i i have to concentrate on my sole task as i'm a man and exactly it's like saying you have this superpower but we're not going to compensate <laughs> no you don't for... get paid anymore <laughs> yeah. for it you just get expected to do five things at once um but i did appreciate that because oh my goodness if i could have had my exes well i used to bring books sometimes to the gym wow yeah what um, about audiobooks do they yeah. exist in your world yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay and podcasts, there's all sorts. Um, and then there's a bit where the female, they were discussing um, filing a claim. And I don't know, I know how you do it in the UK, and we had a really similar class actually in law school, uh, where you had to do the steps of filing a claim. So they have listed on the board several things that you would need for filing a claim, like claim form, um, consider privilege, so privileges when things can't be given to the other side because they're confidential or they contain something so if it contained your legal advice to your client you can redact it as privileged you don't have to show it to them but she asks the um the professor asks l what's the purpose of diminished capacity diminished capacity in one of these lectures so, so, so some some of it was quite realistic and that she says what do you need evidence that is true you do need evidence after you've filed your claim form but there's another one i think it's callahan and his cardigan asks l so callahan is the professor who is probably the closest stereotype to real life he's an old white man <laughs> in a cardigan is the fact that he's a professor who then has actual work yeah to give i mean i've students. never that come really? across yeah. that there's a pe there's people i work with who go and give um lectures at like certain universities but they're not they're not um full-time professors i'm not sure though it's a bit different in america because and it's harvard it's harvard yeah. so it's probably quite a research-based school so perhaps at oxford there are lawyers who are professors in fact there are definitely barristers who are professors at oxford um but i think in the uk more you kind of do one or the other because it's both they're both seen as quite intense so maybe he's a victim of corporate america too <laughs> because he feels like he has he's to, a he real victim both. of this film <laughs> i think we will yeah discover by the end that he is really the victim of this movie oh the poor old white man loses again but yeah so he asks her what what's the purpose of diminished response diminished capacity we call it responsibility here and she says to negate mens rea it's kind of a weird answer because mens rea is so in a um crime you have to have actus reum and action and mens rea uh which is like malice aforethought basically means intention so you had to have it you had to both intend in your mind to commit a crime and actually commit the crime for you to be guilty of a crime you can be guilty of lesser offenses if you can't make out the mens rea so for example with theft you need to have the mens rea of um wanting to steal or deciding to appropriate property that wasn't yours so if you just picked something up not deciding to steal it and then accidentally forgot you were holding it you're not, you haven't committed theft but you okay. might have committed something else but it will be a much lesser offense so when she says to negate mens rea 
it's sort of like it doesn't really negate it because that would imply the mens rea is there and then I suppose it could you could say you know they they were so stupid they didn't they couldn't have thought of help but I would say it's more of a defense point or a lesser sentence than a charge okay so that stuck out for me as something that didn't necessarily make sense but they're using all the right language so I suppose that's what's important. They do definitely use language in the film to like give it some kind of faux credibility. Yeah, and like for example, the whole scene in the courtroom when she comes in and then the, the judge is like, "Counselors approach the bench," referring to Elle as a counselor before she's even established that she can be one. Um, so that obviously they say in that part of the film, and just for our listeners' um, knowledge, that is when Elle at the end of the film defends Brooke who is the one who's been accused of murder of her husband. She fires Callahan and um, basically Elle becomes her attorney? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, is, obviously they say that that happens in Mass- the state of Massachusetts. Yeah. But do you think that could happen anywhere else? I mean, as a trainee, you can have some rights of audience. So my friend um, defended or, or spoke up for a client in like a property court but that's more of a tribunal. So it depends on the level of the court in the UK as to what you could go and... Because you can always represent yourself, but, I mean, never do that. It's a really bad idea. I know I would say that, but seriously, call a lawyer. At least get their advice. Um, if you ever find yourself on trial. I don't think <laughs> there's any way I could just march into a murder trial and say, actually, even though I'm qualified, because I'm not qualified to defend murder. Yeah, That's a whole other thing. And so... It kind of, I guess they get around it because they're like, she needs to be supervised by an attorney. But I feel like that law was more to let a trainee sit on the bench and just watch rather than to actually let them lead the whole trial. Because a trial, people forget, you don't just turn up on the day and say, our client's innocent. Oh no, they're guilty. Well, they're innocent. Let's interview some people. There's like months, if not years, of preparation going into a trial. Oh wow. Yeah. So you'll have all these pieces of paper with all your arguments on from all the years and like if you need a if you're going to a hearing like there was no paper in my in any hearing i'm at there is what we call bundles everywhere which is just folders full of paper because everything's still paper-based there they do have electronic bundles now but nobody's using them yet and certainly not in 2001 like there should have been papers everywhere okay uh another thing is that her friends just storm in <laughs> And start cheering for her, which is quite wrong. We came to watch her trial. Oh, look, look at the jury. Oh, there's a little judge and everything. Also, they would have been kicked out. Also, if that happened and I was on the jury, I'd be like, F off. But I, that would infuriate me <laughs> yeah. that this like, rich girl and her friends have just decided to take over the court case. Like, yeah. And you've been sitting there locked in a room for days. That said, the, the trial's pretty um, stunning because... Everybody's obviously dressed in boring, I'm going to court colours, which is true. People do wear boring colours to court. And Elle comes in, head to toe hot pink, tiny little strappy shoes, little chihuahua, pink handbag, you know. She looks amazing. The outfits and the fashion is a whole nother thing that you can talk about with this film. Um, and Reese Witherspoon actually kept every single outfit, um, but she put them in storage. She doesn't wear them. I wonder why. What her... That was one of the conditions of her signing the contract. That she'd keep every outfit. I, I wonder what she does. She just wear them. It's someday? probably an investment. I mean, if she ever like loses her career, God forbid, yeah. all hell, Reese. She would need to 
sell them probably i have a theory since you said this that i've just come up with now that reese witherspoon is planning um to just create a museum of her life with all her different outfits <laughs> well the thing about reese is and there's a lot of parallels with reese and one of my other um big uh female idols i mean i don't normally think of my idols as male and female but in this case it makes sense because the reason i admire them mm. is because of their their own kind of feminism and the other person was dolly parton and reese is obsessed with dolly parton as well um okay. and she has consulted her many times i think she consulted her about louis vuitton because dolly has a famous song called uh dumb blonde and so this whole idea of this uh blonde woman being a joke and not being serious was something dolly's been battling with way before Legally Blonde. It's Legally Blonde is almost like the distillation of that. Yeah, so I think we can talk more specifically about gender then. Yeah, And sure. what this film says about gender. I mean, I think it's interesting how it does definitely put the dumb blonde, quote dumb blonde stereotype it, that's a very specific representation of women in the film and it's it's almost like in the film if you're not that you're the complete opposite yeah. so there's not much nuance in female representation in but that I think sense there was this, the reason i think it's slightly tongue-in-cheek and this is quite obscure to bear with there's part in the film so uh in terms of plot we haven't maybe gone into this too much but so l's at law school working away we've seen the montage she's got the book she's got a sensible hat and hairstyle um she's wearing trousers so you know she's serious and she has recovered from the horrible um well and i know i guess it's kind of gender is that the the girls vivian and her mean friend first they kick l out of their study group because she's not smart enough apparently mm-hmm. and second well th- second they tell people such as Enid, the quote-unquote angry feminist, that Elle had been calling her back names behind her back. Um, so they start kind of spreading misinformation about Elle. Yeah. And then they invite her to a party, telling her it's a costume party. So she turns up in the classic bunny girl outfit, which apparently in 2001... Was a trend. So we also have Bridget Jones turning up to what she thought was a tarts and vickers party which who's ever been to one of those i think in the home counties <laughs> they do exist like i guess we're not middle-aged but i think i've heard actually like my parents okay. our parents talk they, maybe they the were point. just going to church I, I, I don't know <laughs> in any case both women get humiliated when someone invites them to a costume party and they i mean with bridget jones it makes slightly more sense because it was a tart and vickers party so she went as a playboy bunny and, and she missed true. the memo because back in the day obviously it used to be fun to play dress up as a sex worker um and imagine what... and a priest i mean talk about society <laughs> turning a blind eye to things like yeah so poor l um kind of does the that's why I assumed it was Halloween, because the Mean Girls trope, it's the one night of the year where you get to um, dress up like a sex worker and nobody says a thing. Um, but, uh, so Elle turns up in her a pink Playboy bunny outfit and is totally humiliated. And um, we kind of get a bit of an insight, though, into the, the female gender dynamics, because it's almost as though the other girls invited her and said, it's a costume party. 
and like they didn't know she would take it that far and turn up in just a corset and a bunny tail but they obviously expected her to wear something ridiculous because they're setting her up to make a fool out of herself so her turning up in that outfit for some reason vivian obviously thinks that l is a massive bitch yeah because it's like there's a bit of a misunderstanding between them and this is something i'm quite vocal about in real life as well is this whole stereotype of women being in competition and against one another. But that is something the film actually does well, because the resolution in the film is that they become friends, yeah. and she breaks off her engagement to Hunter, and they actually kind of go, they surpass the men. Yeah. And yeah. They, 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 they end up laughing at them yeah. behind their back, which I thought was great. Um, so yeah, so I guess the, the kind of um, peak of their beef is when they kick her out of the study group and then when they invite her to the party and she turns up dressed like that and she's humiliated. But for Elle, that was the thing she needed to push her over the edge. Yeah, because um, it's Hunter who says to her, like, you won't ever be anything more than this. Yeah. You're not smart. Like, this is who you are. Yeah, because he goes, oh, she says, oh, yeah, I want to try and get onto Callahan's internship, which has been floated and kind of dangled by this Callahan and the cardigan guy who's like, come be on my internship. I'm guessing he just wants free labour from a bunch of desperate law school students who work hard <laughs> to try and get a job with him. Yeah, I mean, money doesn't seem to ever be no. part of her decision-making. No, it's yeah. true, it's true. Um, but yeah, so she says, oh, I don't know, it's going to be so hard next year when I when I have Callahan's internship as well. And Warner just laughs at her and is like, honey, you're not smart enough to do that. Like, And she says, she makes a really good point. Did I miss something? Are we not at the same law school? And he sort of rolls his eyes, which is funny because what we later find out from Vivian herself is that Warner did not get in to Harvard first time. He was waitlisted. Yeah. So actually, Elle did better than him. Yeah. And I think it's important to actually understand Vivian's motives. Like, I I think obviously she set up... She's got the Harry Winston. If you were someone's fiance and you didn't really know about this girl other than that she had been dating your boyfriend and now had turned up all of a sudden like <laughs> never had interest in law and now turned up at harvard law school which you spent your whole life trying to get into and she turns up and doesn't seem to be taking anything seriously in your eyes I love that. You and really then once like join the study group you would be like fuck off and <laughs> one of the things that i thought was really feminist third wave feminist about the film was when Elle goes to the nail salon the first time and meets Paulette, yeah. who is another character that definitely is so evocative. But the actress as well, because she's in a syndrome. She is, yeah. yeah, she's in Friends as well. In Friends. Um, Jennifer Coolridge is her name. Yes. Oh, and her Wikipedia page names her as an activist as well as an actress. She's definitely a working yeah. actress. Yeah. Um, so she, uh, so she meets her in the nail salon. She's telling her all about Vivian and how awful she is, but she says she's not completely unfortunate looking, which I think, it, she's basically saying she's good looking in a backhanded way, but most of the time, and it definitely played into my own life, actually, I think with us parodying these tropes that we saw on television and in films, is that if the guy, the guy's ex-girlfriend, you're meant to say she's hideous. You're meant to be like, you're so much better than her. She's disgusting. How can he be with her? And it's like a really big insult if anybody mentions that she might even be slightly good looking. And I thought it was really powerful, actually, that she didn't do that. She, she flipped it and said, well, she's not completely unfortunate looking. Give her some scar and she'd be pretty, you know. And it's true because Selma Blair is good looking. Yeah. 
but she also was in Cruel Intentions with Reese Witherspoon Ooh. and she plays like um, I'm not going to say she's got special educational needs but Ryan Felipe and the others definitely take advantage of her character and okay cruel intentions i wonder if that was um deliberate yeah i'm not sure because cruel intentions was first but i do think the film could have been it could have gone down the easier route which was just keep them as rivals and i like that they made vivian more three-dimensional yeah my favorite bit one of my favorite bits of the film especially in terms of gender politics is when vivian comes into Elle's room while they're working on the case, they're up all night because she's an intern for Callahan as well. Except she falls into the category of uh, coffee girl. Yeah. So she, all she has to do is get his coffee, which, you know, is quite powerful because here's this girl who is supposedly everything else meant to be, yet she's not being taken seriously either. And they both know it's because they're women. I did find that bit funny when she says to Elle, um, yeah, she says to Elle, Oh, well, I have to make the coffees all the time. Why doesn't he ever um, ask the boys to do that? And says, well, boys are useless, aren't they? <laughs> and it's, you know, Elle does have her limits yeah, as, yeah. as a feminist hero. Oh, in, yeah. <laughs> obviously she does. But, like, that did make me laugh that, um, you know, Elle doesn't really seem to think, oh, why is that? But then, so on that point with between those two, Callahan gropes her? So, yeah, he doesn't quite grope her, but... What I think he does is like a casting couch type thing. So he sets it up saying, you're so amazing, Elle. You're so brilliant. And it's quite funny because just before she sees Vivian in the corridor and Vivian says, oh, Callahan wants to talk to you. He's already got his coffee, but maybe he wants a donut. And they have a little laugh and roll their eyes about these stupid men can't do anything for themselves. Um, Vivian's carrying like loads of books, basically falling over. So she's just being absolutely... um, what's the word exploited on this free internship uh but she's got the harry winston thing Mm. um and so Elle goes in and he's giving her all these compliments he's telling her oh you're such you'll be brilliant you'll be brilliant and then he kind of creeps closer and closer sits down next to her and says you know this profession is about how far you will go to get to the top how far will Elle go and puts his hand on her leg so he's basically saying if you sleep with me you can have a job here which is quite classic, I suppose. Classic men. The thing about it is, it's really good they shine a light on it. And obviously there's a positive ending, but I found that the most unrealistic part of the whole film is that she got personal retribution against workplace harassment <laughs> in 2001. Yeah. yeah and I know she didn't have, like, legal um, retribution or anything, but, like, the fact that her career was able to excel and he probably took quite a few knockings. I, I would say that's pretty unrealistic, yeah. yeah. So in reality, she'd have been fired. He'd have been fired. Although there is a positive ending, there's not really any like clarification because, I mean, he could just keep doing that to his students. Well, he's not so. in the final scene. Yeah, that's true. But I doubt that he's been and Weinstein. Weinstein hasn't even been Weinstein. So. Yeah. What he did probably wasn't a fireable offence. Yeah, at but, that time, I doubt. But there could have been, you know, as we've seen with the like hashtag MeToo movement, there could have been other stories to do with him that, that oh, could have come out. 100%. But it, that's not the first time he's done yeah. that. Yeah. So I think when you look at it like that, it he could carry on. And I thought they portrayed way. it quite well because basically what happens is she... That happens... And she takes a second because she's shocked. 
just as she does that, Vivian's peeping through the door. So Vivian, all she sees is his hand on her leg. So she assumes that, oh, this has been going on the whole time, and that's why you treat me like rubbish, because... So she runs after Elle and says, maybe you could sleep with the jury too, and then we'd win. And uh, the, the elevator's doors shut yeah. classically, so Elle has no way to defend herself or say that's not happened, which basically pushes Elle over the edge and says, I'm quitting. She happens to run into her love interest in the, in the corridor, Emmett, or Luke Wilson. Oh, that's what I was going to say to you. Maybe it feeds into gender dynamics. So do you know the bit after... So at, at one point, um, Elle goes to interview the one of the key witnesses in the case. At the spa? Yeah, the ex-wife of the man who was shot. And her and Emmett drive there and back together. And because one of the guys says, oh, she's at the spa. Oh, isn't that your mothership or something? Um, right. Because they do mock her a lot. And she's very resilient, I must say. Because another thought... I've gone off on a tangent, but another thing I thought was great was when she gets rejected from the study group because she's not smart enough. So she kind of walks past another study group, which is Enid, the angry feminist, quote unquote, and a bunch of other sportswear clad women. So we can only make assumptions for what that's supposed to mean. But she says, maybe there's like a like sorority you could like join completely taking the mick. Yes. Which is so unfeminist and uh, sh- but we, we we learn and Elle says uh, something else oh she says you know I would have been nice to you if you hadn't been so rude she's like I would have been nice to you if you'd come to a sorority party yeah and it's like well that's great that's problematic that's great well. that you would be nice to her like as if that's a chore yeah so um <laughs> so she so then she says oh Enid replies retorts was that before or after you were nice to my face and then called me uh, trigger warning dyke <laughs> behind my back? Which isn't really a word that I ever really heard used much as a kid, but no. I knew it was bad. And I heard it in Breakfast at Tiffany's, and it basically was like a bad word for a lesbian in the old days or yeah. a gay woman. I mean, I think it's so in some common parlance, not that I hear it, but I think people do probably. Oh use right, it. well I, I just know. I hadn't heard it like, much. Either as a de- in a way or like a re- reclaim, reclaiming thing. Um, so that's where we kind of find out that Enid is mis- misled. So I don't think she would have been so rude to her. But that said, if she represents a sort of second wave feminism, of course, Elle Woods is everything that they're fighting against, right? Like reminiscent of like Dolly Parton's yeah. feminism. So when Dolly was like, oh yeah. I, I was the first to burn my bra. It took them five days to put the fire out. Yeah. Like, you know, she kind of subtly mocked them a little bit because she was saying, look, you're there shouting about it, but I'm here doing it. Yeah. And that's that's exactly the same as Elle. She's saying, I'm not shouting about it, but guess what? I'm doing it. Which is why the whole Callahan creepy thing is so crushing. But yeah, that's what I was going to say. Luke Wilson makes a comment. So he says, you know, you have more power than a blonde. You have more power being a blonde than you think. You should. W- I'd love to see you wield it to its full potential, or something like that. And she says, "Oh, that's sweet." And he says, "Hey, how do you think I would look as a blonde?" And she says, "You couldn't handle it." It's actually a reference to Owen Wilson, right? That's okay. so. I thought that was quite funny that they're saying like, "Oh no, being a, being a blonde is like you couldn't even handle it, Luke Wilson," because he's saying, "How would I look as a blonde when him and Owen look identical, but brown and blonde versions of each other?" Right. What happened to Luke Wilson? Because Owen Wilson is still 
an active act. Like is I, he? I did. Well, I I feel like Owen Wilson is more successful than Luke Wilson. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But I, d- I think but in two thousand in two thousand and one, Luke Wilson it seems maybe was more successful than Owen Wilson. Yeah, because Owen Wilson had this whole drug problem and tried to kill himself. I don't even remember that. No, I oh, don't know that. Yeah, he tried to slit his wrist. So um, I think they were on. They started off on like common fame levels yeah but luke wilson i think dropped off the map a little bit oh his imbd records him as an actor producer and director well maybe maybe he's still an active actor but i think he's a working actor yeah. i think actually the more the less work you do the better an actor you become that's true because so, so like jennifer working. aniston can do like two films a year do you remember though luke wilson owen wilson vince vaughn all these people were like massive slightly quirky male leads that the 2000s was all about Heath Ledger you know yeah it was all these sort of handsome quirky guys and that's why I think Legally Blonde is good because the women's characters really do take the forefront actually that's true but I men are a lot more flattened now I can't remember the exact plot of Legally Blonde 2 but I, th- I think their Luke Wilson's character is in it somewhere. With Legally Blonde, they still needed to have romantic resolution because at the end they just kind of add on that <laughs> that he's going to propose to her. But, yeah. Um, and, and I, I kind thought of, in my head, like, yeah, boy, put a ring on her. She's going straight to the top. True. And for yourself to her. Which, if I want to be a partner by 30. <laughs> I, I need to stop dating such boneheads, which everybody whoops when you see that. It's like there's so many scenes when you're just like, yes, L, or when they're going... I'm taking the dog, dumbass, when they go and get the dog yeah. off her Paulette's husband, when she gets onto Callahan's internship team, when she wins the trial, when she cracks the mysterious code of the gay man. Okay, which yeah, is we, we can we talk, about to talk about that. Just to add on, like Paulette, L, they all at the very closing scene are pa- paired off with. Well, that's the same as Pride and Prejudice, and isn't it? It's, it, I mean, it's like a Shakespearean thing, even, isn't it? Like that resolution yeah. is. Yeah, resolution means coupling. Means coupling, and it means monogamy is kind of the ultimate way the, that the balance has been restored because the whole massive trauma in her life that at this point she needed to get over was that she got dumped and wasn't going to marry. Uh, William Huntington, Warner Huntington the third. I've just called him WH three in my notes, but sounds a bit apocalyptic. Um, he, she's not going to marry him. Her perfect life has been shattered. In like, like I said, we've maybe not, but a lot of us have been there in a breakup when you do think, oh my goodness, everything's ended. My whole life as I know it is gone, and I really like the fact that I think it's a classic trope of these movies to have this kind of plot, to have this like makeover plan or get him back plan or bring down Regina George plan but that oftentimes and is what happens in this movie that kind of gets superseded and she realises that the original plot was really stupid and she doesn't need to be with him at all and to be fair you don't really hear her saying she needs to be with anyone I still feel very much that Luke Wilson pursued her I, I don't think her ending up with Luke Wilson is her the ultimate kind of resolution that she finds the resolution is that she has graduated and she gets to make the speech at the end yeah. and that she's got a great legal career. Oh, so talking about gender politics. And so at the end of the movie, Reese gives the speech, sorry, L gives the, uh, she's like the valedictorian for the class of 2004. We did it! And she gives this iconic speech, which Margot Robbie apparently recites every day in preparation for her role in Bombshell. So lasting effect clear 
um, but she, she recites this speech and the introducer of her is that professor who on their very first day said law is passion free from reason it's the female professor who put her on the spot and really laid into her and who said that basically she introduces Al by saying this is somebody who really changed my mind about everything so basically there's a film in the scene after Callahan's been creepy Elle runs to her friend Paulette in the manicurist salon and is crying and saying I'm quitting law I'm leaving Harvard you know why did I even think I could be anything more than a Victoria's Secrets model which is a pretty hard thing to be <laughs> quite an exclusive club uh, and this you see a shot of someone's head from behind in one of those um, gosh I can't remember what they're called blow drying things in the salon those I, I wish I knew what they were called yeah. head showers or are they not for perms or are they uh, they're for yeah. any treatment that needs heat across evenly across the oh, head okay. so um, when I was having my hair blonded with one of those on as well to help the bleach like react at the same time or you can have it for perming or yeah all sorts uh, so so there's a, this woman spins around and it's her professor in the salon of all places you know but she does have perfectly coiffed hair um, so she turns around and goes if you're gonna let one prick ruin the rest of your life you're not the girl I thought you were the original scene had the woman reveal her Delta Nu ring and do the Delta Nu chant with L Wood. Sam is looking shocked right now. And is that so, from the book? I, was I have no idea, but it or turned from out. from the original, okay. But it turned, no, it was in the original movie. They've cut it on the Netflix version, I think, to make it more Me Too. Because if it was oh. just that she was in the same sorority, I mean, that's quite unbelievable, isn't it? That's mind-blowing because the version I watched didn't have that in. And now you say that, I think I can remember that. Yeah happening she revealed that she was part of the same sorority because sororities in america aren't necessarily per uni they're like global things so it doesn't mean they went to the same uni but they were part of the same sorority and that's the only reason that she turned around and was like oh but in this one they make it more just as female empowerment in the, in the version on netflix so i don't know i think that's interesting it's interesting that they they change when they make a change like that Especially to something that's not part of the plot, really. It's quite minor. It's minor, but it's interesting they change it and you'd watch it now without ever knowing. You can change a film for the current audience oh, without yeah, watching it. Yeah. But that's also quite dangerous if we consume all of our media from specific streaming services. Um, and then, so yeah, I think we should talk about gay men, no designers, straight men don't. Me and um, our sister actually spoke about this as well because she was watching, well, it was on in the background last night in our flat and it got to that bit. So she's, it's iconic. She's at the water fountain and she's tapping her shoes and the witness happens to be the key witness for the um, prosecution. So the man who says he had an affair with her client and that's why they murdered the husband. He's the pool boy, Enrique. Pool boy's also kind of a strange uh, late 90s, early noughties theme. There's a whole thing in Friends about Chandler's dad and the pool boy. And they also seem to always be like Latino. Latino guys, or like um, Filipino or something. Also in Desperate Housewives. In Desperate Housewives, yeah. yeah. Did you notice the bit where the lady she's defending Brooke. says, I just like watching him cleaning in a thong. <laughs> and that's like her explanation. Yeah, so, so part of the evidence that the prosecution bring that the Enrique and Elle's clients, Brooke, were having an affair is the fact his uniform is a tiny glittery thong. 
And Brooke says, I just like watching him clean the filter. <laughs> which means that she's just staring at this guy's butt. Yeah, which is also very problematic. I mean, if he's it's consented It's sort of like turning it... the um, Hugh Hefner thing on its head, right? She's also a very privileged white woman. He's so an immigrant thing, actually, domestic wanted... worker. <laughs> another thing I wanted to bring up, which um, feeds into the privileged white woman's trope, is that, and I think very current, when... The reason Elle wins her client's trust, which is, to be fair, something that is really good to do in your job as a lawyer. If your client trusts you, they'll come back to you and they'll hopefully not be charged with murder again, but they'll use you for... When their second work. husband dies. She goes to see Elle in prison, and she, uh, Brooke in prison, Elle does, and she brings uh, a collection of things, including the Bible, which is Cosmo. Another link into her genius solving of the trial, but we'll get there. Uh, and she gets her client's alibi and she finds out why her client definitely couldn't have shot her husband but it's a secret that cannot be revealed uh that, that she's had liposuction and why is that why is it so problematic it's, she's built a business off of her fitness empire so if it's revealed that she gets liposuction herself because else says at one point she helped me go from a six to a four she can make you lose three pounds in one class so we're meant to believe that the brook method works I was confused by this because I always thought that liposuction was something you had if you were like okay. severely overweight. But is it something no. that anyone can Anyone have? can, okay. if you pay for it privately, yeah. And so you've got to think back. This is the early noughties. The fashionable figure is thin. We've just come out of hair and chic in the 90s, Kate Moss. Then we've got Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie was the chubby one, if you can believe it. Paris Hilton, very tall and thin. Supermodels, very tall and thin. Everybody's thin. Yeah. Reese Witherspoon is slightly different from the stereotype. She's very thin, but she's petite. Yeah. She's small and cute. She's got big boobs. Um, Dolly Parton-esque. Whereas uh, Brooke looks more in the film like, you know, your typical kind of... Everyone was very thin. Remember Tara Reid? Oh, dear God. <laughs> I don't know. Tara, if you're okay, please get in touch. Um, Brooke... Brooke is basically a fraud. She's a fraudster. She's getting liposuction to make her legs skinnier and her butt smaller when she's telling other women they can do it by... I mean, doesn't that fundamentally make her a really bad person? Yes, but not a murderer. In the age of um, social media scrutiny, I guess, that it would ruin her career, as Brooke says, and that's why she doesn't want to reveal her alibi. So much so that she's willing to take the rap and go to murder. Yeah, I think that go, kind go of sums it up, murder. doesn't it? Murder's less heinous to her. She says, I'd rather die than lose my reputation. So it shows you how important her reputation... It's very consumerist, isn't it? It's very like the fact she's built a fraudulent business that she will protect by all... At any cost, I think really plays into the kind of narrative of that time and that being thin is so important. So what were you going to say about the uh, last season's product? Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> so it's absolutely iconic. She's there, she's tapping her feet out of annoyance because he's taken ages. Bear in mind he's been on the stand a while, so he probably does need some water. These gay men drink a lot of water. <laughs> and he goes, Don't you snap at your little last season Prada shoes at me. Don't you stomp them at me. <laughs> and it's the classic scene that this guy turns around and says this sassy comment with the open-necked shirt. It's like a Versace shirt or something, all glittery. His jacket is amazing. But that was a real stereotype of the gay straight man dichotomy. That's how, this is the time of, what's that show called? Playing It Straight. Playing It Straight. This is the era 
in which they thought it was funny to make a dating show, like Love Island or something, where the me- the women have to guess if the man is gay or not. Also, can I just add, um, hosted by woke princess Jamila Jamil. Hosted <laughs> by the now princess of woke, Jamila Jamil. We see you, Jamila. So it's a real time in history to be alive. It's like this whole gaydar theory. It's like there's supposedly a way you could just look at somebody and know instantly from the way they were dressed in a movie and the way they moved that they were gay. It's also something that I think is actually such a construction of the time because I was listening to something or reading something about how this guy was talking about um, how in like the 70s and 80s, like men in his family would never have looked to like Freddie Mercury, like very, sorry, heteronormative men in his family never looked to like Freddie Mercury or Elton John were like, oh, he must be gay. These very specific things a gay a gay man is going to be like really knowledgeable about fashion yeah like i think that isn't something that's existed for centuries it may like maybe people prove me wrong but i don't think it has i I think think it was a way of expressing that character through stereotype in these films i watched it this recently expecting okay i were you expecting to be more insulted i wasn't necessarily (laughs) As a gay man, I thought, okay, I'm gonna be outraged by this, or but I. See, I don't think it falls like that. But I don't think it does fall like that. It's kind of like satire. But I think we're at a point now. We're kind of like post. Yeah. Well, maybe this is obviously from my pers- perspective, and I've got some other things to talk about that that show other people's perspectives about this. Okay. But I find that maybe we're at a point now where we have so much better representation mm. that like diversity has kind of come along that this doesn't feel so offensive because it's like oh that's just stupid but it's not the only representation you see of gay men right so it holds less weight like so what i liked about it was not liked what i found funny about it was that it was very ham yeah the movie is ham anyway right it's very campy so it's and it's sort of believable in the context of this world where reese witherspoon epitomizes this valley girl um it almost was the wokeness of the time because it's like someone like paris hilton was knowledgeable about all the popular culture just like Elle. she knows things yeah. any cosmo girl would have known as she says about the perm um but the so it's almost like oh it's believable that she would be able to crack this one code and it's by virtue and the same with the re- so basically this ends up winning her the trial along with the perm thing so she knows from interrogating the witness who says she saw the murder. Chutney is her name. Chutney. Which I loved. <laughs> Chutney. Um, Chutney has the classic hair that our mum had in the 80s. Uh, so she's a bit... She actually looked quite 80s Chutney. I thought it was well, funny. Well, according to Elle, she has the bone structure. Oh, she looks good. She actually reminded me of my mum. But she has... So she's got the big perm. And Elle cracks the code by saying, well, you couldn't have been in the shower when your father was shot washing your hair. Because you said, as part of your alibi, you got a perm that morning. And it's the first cardinal rule of hair care that a perm cannot be exposed to water after 24, until 24 hours after having been set. So it basically, and, she, and they said at the end, amazing hell, amazing. Oh, any Cosmo girl would have known. And it's like, basically, the things that end up winning the trial are the things that make her distinctly a stereotype and trope of this dumb blonde. Like, she has an extra layer of knowledge that those stuffy, cardigan-clad old men can never have known. Yeah. And one of those things is gay men know fashion designers and straight men don't. And that was a cliche of the time. So, like, if you watch it just by itself, yeah, I think you'd be more 
offended but it's now. obviously a joke as well but it's a joke about how like at the time that is how society viewed she gay men what shoes are these and he doesn't say last season's prada he says black ones <laughs> because he doesn't know um uh what was i gonna say um but also because of when enrique's so the reason that the way Luke Wilson manages to get Enrique to admit in inverted commas that he's gay. And the reason I say admit is because at this point he's lying and saying he had an affair with a woman. So he is uh, deliberately closeting himself for the purpose of this trial, but clearly exists in the world as a non-closeted man. Because Luke Wilson says, and... How long have you worked with them? And how long have you been having an affair? Bates has a classic trick of ask loads of questions in a row, then throw in one. Does that work? I don't know. I've <laughs> never seen it done. I'm not sure it's legal. Um, I don't know if that evidence would be admissible. But in any case, he says, and your boyfriend's name is Chuck. <gasps> and then he says, no, Chuck. Chuck is just a friend. And Chuck stands up. Uh, <laughs> I do think... And storms out and it's fabulous. We all want to be Chuck in that moment. How amazing to stand up and go, oh, you, you're... Oh, it's like... I don't know. Well, I, I maybe just the white straight girls want to be Chuck. Is it not problematic in the sense that it is white straight women kind of projecting yeah. their sass onto a sexuality? Like, I, I think that maybe... Well, I was sort of thinking as well, and it, it's like Sex in the City-esque, I suppose. Do you think, though, that in some ways this stereotype and being fashionable is not an insult? No one's saying it's an insult. But do you think in some ways this stereotype gave that character some more agency or some more exposure because it was like a safe way for these Hollywood people to portray them clearly? Because there is something campy and jokey about it, this hmm. scene. I think the answer should have been like more... A nuanced character. Nuanced character. But... Because Enrique also brings up the rear of pretty much the only ethnically diverse person apart from the judge yep and the women dancing in the hair salon oh yeah yeah and there were a few them. black women who were then just used to dance yeah like which is also has many Very issues Miley Cyrus. but i read a piece on the huff post oh, yeah. um by cole delchick and i'll read out a few um excerpts from that and that was titled how legally drawn to hinge someone ugly gay stereotype Ooh. okay so for a movie that appealed so heavily to this preteen gay boy, it sure did traffic in gay stereotypes. While the film has been rightfully challenged for its flimsy feminist principles, I know Cole has a say on that. Elle's knowledge of hair treatments instead of legal precedents, for example, is what secures her the big win. How legally Blonde engages with its gay characters deserves more examination. Considering Elle's climatic triumph in court depends upon outing a closeted pool boy on the stand, this seems worth noting on its anniversary. Ah yes, the pool boy, Enrique Salvatore, played by Greg Serrano. He's the linchpin in Elle's defence case, with fitness guru Brooke Windham, who's been accused of murdering her husband. As the primary witness for the prosecution, Enrique claims that he and Brooke were taking part in an illicit affair with plans to swindle the recently deceased for all he's worth. For some reason, I readily accepted and at least partly internalised that gay men A must have an encyclopedic knowledge of fashion, B hide their sexuality for self-serving reasons, and C exist to be either sassy or sexualized. People choose to remain in the closet in certain spaces for a myriad of reasons, apart from sassily stepping on Elwood's toes. 
While workplace discrimination, violence against LGBT people, access to housing, family pressures, etc. The only insight we receive into Omri's inner life comes from how distraught his boyfriend is when he tries to cover up their relationship. Making coming out funny is a sensitive task, especially within the context of a campy rom-com geared towards straight audiences. Compounding these problems is, of course, the depiction of the character's race, which is played for jokes, uh, while also reinforcing race jokes about Latinos being duplicitous and untrustworthy. And then he ends it, well, he doesn't end it, but he goes on to say... It just never ends. <laughs> it never ends. He goes on to say that gay people in these films don't exist on their own terms, but instead for the purpose of advancing the journey of an Elwood or a Melanie Smoother. So there's a similar scene in Sweet Home Alabama, apparently, which also has, I haven't seen it, I will which has Reese Witherspoon and she plays Melanie Smoother. What I will just say about this is I think Cole raises some interesting mm. points. When these kind of attacks happen, especially at something that was created a long time, I mean, this is 19 years ago now. Like, yeah. that's a very different place we are at in society. It's very easy to put all of your blame, that anger into one form of media or one piece. I think it's a little bit narcissistic as well because... Um, uh, pretty much every character in this movie is a stereotype and pretty much every minor character hinges on L. The blonde dumb stereotype though is allowed to be subverted and challenged and allowed to... You can to only kind of subvert one stereotype at a time if we're going to make it the whole point of the movie. And I think that's the issue. I, th I don't think that's okay. I think we are moving towards a better point now, but in the early noughties, there was, this was like the only gay represent, not this film, but that character. And right. I think the issue then wasn't that you should just say all of these films are homophobic, but that actually we should have better representation in different think? films and that studios and whatever whoever commissions films in, in Hollywood should have been doing more at that time. I think that's... The issue well, I see Hollywood as a kind of colonialism, um, so I think it's in, in its interest to stereotype people and push uh, simple-to-understand narratives. But if you look now, films like... The success of like Black Panther, this is just an example, that had a really huge success with black or African American audiences and black audiences all around the world. Film production companies want to make more films with black cast because they see that, oh yeah, those people do go and watch films. Well, and what's actually they, those audiences have been ignored for a long time. What's actually time. happening now is that those audiences are commercially taking it in. So more people in the world now watch um, Bollywood or Nollywood or um, films made by. Uh, second generation immigrants than they do Hollywood films in total so basically the fact that films are being made and, and more readily accessible that represent those stereotypes uh, represent those people not as stereotypes rather as nuanced characters they people would obviously rather see that why do they want to watch these white centric um, representations that kind of hinge on a blonde pretty girl who's rich Right. it's not reality whereas I think for us it wasn't reality either, but maybe it was just close enough that yeah. as like white children in the UK, you could connect with that. But but in 2001, we didn't have platforms. We didn't have, we didn't have Netflix. We just had what Hollywood gave us, really, and yeah. what the BBC. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he's wrong in a couple of ways in that the main, the, <laughs> the main discrimination really is probably up against brown-haired people. No, I'm, I'm joking. Um, it's because it's the perm that really gets it. Like the trial continues even though Enrique got yeah. outed and also I'm not sure if he was outed I, I never saw it as him being outed I, no, I didn't see it like him that being, uh, I thought they were covering up a murder case yeah also what was his motivation for covering up a murder case I think case? Chutney was going to give him some of the okay. money it was him and Chutney was in it together 
it's a bit of a reach to assume that he was like a closeted gay man and that this has like but maybe it would have been covered in the news or something and then that might have had negative consequences for him i don't know yeah oh there's no way that it wouldn't have been public like yeah. man, man is outed so like pretending to be straight but he also shouldn't have been uh, not that his sexuality shouldn't be used as a punish not for outing him should be used as a, a punishment but like he obviously was putting he was lying in the Skinning court of perjury. law so the defense had every right to say you're i do i know what you mean though it does make you feel a bit conflicted when you're watching it and you're cheering you're cheering inside that l has uh triumphed but it's caused a couple to have an argument and like I, and it does feel strange to be celebrating the fact this guy's been outed on the stand it's true and i guess something we can't really relate to but it is important to note the idea that like it's really enforcing racist tropes and that's something i didn't even think well, about i would say I'm also that a latino in, yeah so. in the uk obviously it's not like south america isn't it it's sort of um so i wouldn't say we have as many ingrained racist stereotypes about people from latin america of course we have them about people from everywhere else yeah but um yeah i that didn't immediately jump out at me either but i'm glad that he made me think about it because i did one of the things i was going to say obviously was note the sea of white faces like it's so undiverse and i think there's not a single person that isn't white in her sorority something that i kind of felt about the film was it is really good in that it actually does point to the fact that careers like law benefit from diversity that's, that's what the way i read it so when he says oh it's so it's lazy feminism that um she, you know it was things like her knowledge of hair care that won her the case or her brilliant gaydar uh i looked at it quite differently and did think no it's because she brings a different point of view to the table it's more more metaphorical than that you know it's that she applied her knowledge in a legal situation which i do all the time because yeah. i didn't study law so i have knowledge of other things that i can hopefully feed in um and that should be celebrated in my opinion but obviously cold didn't like it i think i think the fact the knowledge in the prada shoe case was hinging on like a very one-dimensional gay stereotype yeah. like was bad but yeah. <laughs> and no, i don't think like we should can... excuse it but i i think at the same time but the perm stuff i loved but i but what i was going to say was I think it's really good in showing that diversity of thought and yeah. experience can like help a career like law and lots of other like journalism. There's so many careers that diversity shouldn't. I think it's really bad when in people just see diversity as like a box ticking exercise. Yeah. When actually, no, it's so important that all of the all of these spaces are filled with people who represent and have had different experiences, um, and. I think it shows that in the film, but it obviously doesn't go far enough yeah. in past him being a rich white girl who yeah. represents diversity. <laughs> and like that's at the same time, though, that's not the film's purpose. It's like mm. when people say, you know, when Girls came out, the TV series by Lena Dunham, there was like a hundred billion op eds yeah. um, about how it wasn't diverse enough. And I, I watched Girls and I thought, well, what? social circle in new york by girls that went to expensive liberal arts colleges it's gonna largely predominantly be for for white women and i don't think that 
necessarily excuse is the fact that it doesn't excuse the fact that shows aren't more diverse what it says is we should commission more tv shows yeah, which are diverse but girls is allowed to exist in that world because it does represent people that exist there's very few large characters and where there are they're quite unsexualized or even um paulette is made to look way more unattractive than she is like you can actually tell she's got a good figure that she wears the most unflattering clothes because they dress her as this sort of white dress stereotype yeah, and I that's something we didn't talk about earlier, but I think there's definitely a dichotomy between her and Elle in terms of class. Well, when, when Elle goes to confront uh, Paulette's ex-husband at the trailer, she sort of pauses as she before she says residence, that you've retained the residence. I've got some trivia that I might Great. have a look at. <laughs> to prepare for her role, Reese went to University of South California and spent time with sorority girls there, had dinner with them, and went to their meetings. And she also sat in law school classes, in a law school, and watched women in Beverly Hills find shoes and eating lunch. And I thought this was really interesting because it reminded me of Clueless, because mm. the writer of Clueless spent time with the Valley girls learning their dialect so she could write the script, their script um, to be realistic and accurate. But of course, it then gets hammed up. So I feel a little bit like this... Some people coined the term clueless goes to college when their Legally Blonde came out. Right. But I think that kind of does it a discredit because the girl in uh, the lead, Blair, in Chef, in um, Clueless, is actually quite dumb. She actually is quite clueless. Whereas this is about showing that Elle isn't actually as clueless as she seems. Or the knowledge that she has is not invaluable just because it might seem trite right and also the fact that she is a valley girl shouldn't she's allowed to be a valley girl and also be a kick-ass lawyer yeah and it's i don't Dolly think message, i don't isn't think it? clueless really has that message no, no she's just i'd say clueless is like you know the gestation the beginning of this sort of trope and stereotype but it definitely is far underappreciated and much more mocked i think in that film um uh <laughs> the bend and snap scene was actually a full-length musical number so what you see in the film is merely a shortened version and my one of my favorite bits i guess it's another gay stereotype for you is when the, oh, the yeah. hairdresser so they're all dancing doing the bend and snap um which i've got the uh percentage here that of its success rate, which I thought was really funny, and I'll read it out for the benefit of the listeners. Elle says, My mother taught me the bend and snap in junior high. It has a 98% success rate of getting a man's attention and an 83% return rate on a dinner invitation, if used appropriately. So I'm not sure what if used appropriately means, but literally she's managed to calculate the success rate of her flirt move. I mean, I just find that absolutely hilarious. It is the kind of thing that you would have read in Cosmo at that time. And me and my friends would have said, oh, plucking eyebrows this way has a 50% more chance of getting boys to look at us. It was this whole narrative being shoved at you all the time that um, you've got to perform for men and you've got to get their attention and maintain their attention. And if you get asked on a date, that's just, wow, gee, the best thing that could ever happen. Well, so the you. idea that men's actions would have statistical accuracy yeah. is just... <laughs> No, that. <laughs> it's the of the men as well, isn't it? Because um, they're all so dumb. Oh, you know men. But uh, the bend and snap was always fun to us because it was actually something the men didn't know anything about. So having watched Legally Blonde, you could be like, bend and snap with your girl mates. 
but guys generally wouldn't get the references match. It didn't necessarily turn into something that we'd do. There's no way I'd ever... I was just thinking, like, what if someone actually did that? But also, they kind of show how ridiculous it is when she does it, because she drops her pen... And then she, but she like very, like she like has her pen in her hand and then it's like, oh no, I have to drop it now. And then like picks it up and like very obviously drops it. And then she knocks him out. So I wrote down in my notes that she stared at the pen for like 10 seconds before she dropped it. Kind of thinking, oh, I've got it. And the, the funny thing about Paulette is like, she's kind of the um, stereotypical uh, working class dumbass character in this movie she wears a lot of double denim or denim waistcoat which is kind of insulting uh, i would say there definitely is a class issue here but she is also sort of like freezes up every time this hot ups guy comes in oh the delivery man but yeah so like you say they sort of mock it and show how ridiculous it is because she just ends also up the breaking fact that his nose. i just realized that she who works in the nail salon then ends up with the delivery guy uh l ends up with a partner in a law firm or someone that set up their own law firm. it's very like they are matched to their kind of their status yeah. equivalent yeah. There, there's not really any blurring of those lines it's very much like you're here and i'm here which is so typical because it's like pe- people of color always end up together particularly if they're both from the same place um and yeah, that's part of the resolution. It's 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 a Shakespearean trope too, isn't it? Twelfth really? night. Yeah, because you always have the subtext. So Paulette's kind of like the subtext. She's the light relief. And we have scenes with Paulette. They're not particularly serious. They're always going to make you laugh. She's just a bit of an idiot. Um, I think the role that Paulette has in this film actually, I I think in other naughty film that is often taken up like maybe by a black woman yeah, often. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's always like the black woman is like a isn't a main character but it's like their friends and they have their own little subplot but in this case it's taken up by someone who's from a trailer park yeah who and as much as they become friends their friendship is always in a quite a transactional way it's like she's coming to her shop and they they talk over while she's doing her labor she's doing her nails and then she helps her with the fake legal advice yeah it's it's still kind of it's always reinforcing that and it reminds you that their friendship doesn't really break away from their boundaries of status yeah exactly um and there's another thing uh that i noted which is something emmett said um which i think is quite current and a little ahead of its time uh so he's talking about brooke their client and they're wondering whether or not she did the murder and he says I don't trust her. She's lying about something. And I was like, yes, but what if you don't know what it is? Because she knows the secret. And Emmett says, I don't trust anyone who's made their fortune telling women they're too fat. Mm. And Elle says, oh, she would never tell someone they're too fat. But the premise of the business model is that you're too fat when you're coming to it. Like, you need to lose weight. That's why you're doing her class. It's advertised to lose three pounds in a class. So I actually think he makes a weirdly woke point there that is something... Mm much discussed at the moment of like the whole wellness and fitness industry moving away from the emphasis being on losing weight and moving towards uh loving well-being health self-care which could just be another scam so you know um but yeah so what did you want to say about the why you think that the film wouldn't necessarily work today 
it's kind of in the same way I've heard people discuss Big, the film from the 90s with Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. Hanks, yeah. Um, being it, a lot of the jokes don't fly today because uh, the idea that children, childish behavior is like in the workplace or uh that people are more relaxed in what they wear as adults and they kind of embody childish behavior or behavior of youth more and they don't necessarily just rush into wearing a suit all the time as it used to be and that's what this film is sending up in the same way that's sending up that joke and it, it, the joke is based on there being this distinction i think that is so much more accepted now and even embraced. And I mean, maybe this is me talking from no, you're right, a less informed sense. Down, but a lot of people dress down. But a lot of people dress up. But, but I mean, in Legally Blonde, I think today it's way more accepted, especially for women, to be feminine. Yeah. In the way, and maybe we're not a hundred percent there. I don't know, but like I would, I'd say we're not, but I'd also say we've come a long way. But I think if I was in a business meeting and a okay, m- maybe not as ridiculous some of those outfits, but if a woman came in, obviously had had a manicure, had just had her hair done, I wouldn't think, oh my god, how ridiculous who this. She... If she said I have a chihuahua, I probably still wouldn't think that's ridiculous. Or maybe that's just me being like I'll tell you of my think, time, but um, I think a lot of those jokes wouldn't work for the audience the original film was made for, which is people who are in their teens, twenties. I think because the agree. the equilibrium as such is has shifted, yeah. so it doesn't subvert as much as it set out to. As so in the original. I agree, and I think for people your age and younger, probably is funny. Oh, funny to think people used to think that was a thing, but. I definitely say that there's more resonated with me than I expected in the movie. And I think professions. Um, so in the UK, obviously, we have the city in London, which is the old school corporate place to work. Um, and in America, they have places like that in every state, I suppose. But, you know, New York or somewhere. And while it's getting better and it's becoming more accepted, there is still a huge problem with women and not being taken seriously for how they look. Um, I honest, I've had people say to me quite a few times, oh, I'm surprised. I thought, I didn't realise you'd be like, I didn't realise you'd be so smart or, do you know what I mean? Mm. And like I said, I've had people ask me, did you just wake up one day and decide you want to be a lawyer? Because they can't believe that someone can straighten their hair in the morning and put on a nice outfit and come into work. So I do think that I still suffer from people making assumptions about me based on my looks. Uh, do you think time. the assumption is also down to, like, you, oh, so you're interested in fashion and makeup and you're also a lot... Like, yeah. is there a surprise that you can be both? Or? For sure. Um, I also lean in a little, I think, to the stereotype because I actually don't mind if people underestimate me if I have the opportunity to... Prove them wrong. Yeah, because it's not... It's, it's also, you've got to balance it with... Um, that there's some benefits as well to people seeing you as slightly more innocent and less conniving uh, and more naive because they don't assume you to be three steps ahead of them which is definitely something Elle benefits of in the she movie. benefits from it but it is also but it's frustrating, at the same. frustrating so it's kind because... of like being in a cage that you want to escape that is also a safe, sp- safe place because you know it so one of the things I try and promote at work and talk to people above me because I wouldn't say I've had any bad experiences like that in my office now, but I know of people who have and I know the profession has an issue. 
And so I said, well, you need to put men and women on actual equal footing in your mind. So I, I was telling you this thing recently about um, unconscious bias, wasn't I? When uh, the women in Obama's, President Obama's cabinet noticed that he kept attributing their achievements to men or their points that they'd made in debates to men. And so they just started correcting him or just started referencing the other woman, even when it wasn't true. So they'd say, as um, Julie said, even though that it was Bob that said it, to make the point. Yeah. And Obama, obviously, being a smart man, noticed and said, hey, what's going on here? Is there something you're trying to tell me? So they explained and he looked into it and really tried to change that in his cabinet. Now, I'm not sure how many women there are in the current uh, American government, um, but actually it's also quite interesting that Elle, uh, Reese Witherspoon, so the reason that um, Margot Robbie referenced her for her role in Bombshell is that Margot Robbie is playing a young, good-looking Republican woman, and she doesn't have that experience herself. She's from Australia, so Republican more. But I think she's probably quite to the left or at least ambivalent. So she has been on Twitter looking at what like young Republican women like as a bot or whatever. So it's been Margot Robbie like replying to people's tweets and they don't know. That's so funny. So she's been like looking you at You could what... have been told by Margot Robbie. Yeah, if you're yeah, FYI. Active leftist on No, no, no. Um oh, she Republicans. Was... She wasn't okay. trolling them, I but she was like she was just getting involved. Getting involved, okay. And trying to see what their opinions were so and just why because she didn't understand them. them. She said at first she got really angry. She couldn't understand how any of these people could support Trump and blah blah blah. But she said that's another thing that is about Elle Woods is like she is assimilated into her privilege and into her stereotype. But like I said, at the same time, she's also subverting it. And I think it is a real back and forth that women still play every day in the office or in um, hierarchy. So it is difficult to have the same gravit gravitas when people's image of a good, strong lawyer is still Cardigan Callahan and not. And also, I think as well, when we talk about gender, so in a recent, I watched a recent Queer Eye episode set in Japan, yeah. where they talked about giving up being a woman, and I think... That means letting yourself go there, So right? letting yourself go, like, not wearing makeup, not caring about your hair, and in that context, I think it was more about becoming, like, a domestic self-helper uh, person in the your setting like well it's about um not putting in the effort to look like a woman yes but i i think in the kind of impression i get from law when you look at the older woman is that she's going for a very masculine look short hair, the short hair suits. and i i mean she was she did look like kind of like she did look like she cared about her appearance but yeah. it's obviously the complete opposite of l woods who goes for the super feminine role and i think that i have this impression that in law if you want to be taken seriously a woman you kind of do try and le dress less feminine because that gives you more authority in some sense. Because you never want it to come down to. This, there's been people I know have horror stories about like them walking into a meeting room, attending a meeting, and people asking them to get coffee, or always looking to the woman and saying, "You're taking notes, aren't you?" Now, because I'm the most junior in most of my teams, I do take notes, but I don't feel that that's because I'm a woman. It could be, though, what if I get to partner level and people are still looking at me saying, oh, you're taking a note, you know? So I guess I haven't reached high enough to really test it because we're very much quite balanced. However, it's partly, like, to do with um, why women aren't promoted as much in law and um, professions because as soon as they start having children, they uh, their potential kind of 
is seen to disappear and they're seen as not serious anymore. And it's like said, if you're a woman, you should never have any kids. You should never have photos of your kids on your desk. But if you're a man, you should have them. So if the man has them, it looks like he cares about his family. And he's probably a better businessman for it because he's got a good spirit. Whereas if a woman has them, she's not serious. She just think about her kids all day. So don't you think that's interesting? It's like yeah, because the the traditional kind of hard male in the office is the one that is working on the house and negating his family. Yeah. So by him having the kids shows wow he's such a balanced man. It's like a man only has to like show pick up his kids from school once and everyone's like wow what oh, a great man. Obviously. A woman does doesn't do it once and suddenly she's the worst mother in the world. Yeah. It's a man can get away with a lot more in that sense. I think. And yeah. there's one final thing I wanted to say about gender, uh, about identity politics and then I'm done. I really enjoyed the bit where they were sat in a circle when they just started law school and they went around saying about themselves what they weren't. I actually thought it was brilliant because it reminded me a bit of um, my first night at a university I won't name that was full of people who'd been to much, had a, a much posher background than me, um, different education. And they did exactly the same thing, went round in a circle and were like, oh, I'm saying so I got this much in my A-levels and all that. And I thought it was really weird. So in this, they do that. And they all say what they did. And then Elle says, I'm Elle. This is Bruiser. We're both Gemini vegetarians. And it just made me smile so much because I was like, in some ways, they think she's really vapid and shallow because that's what she's said. But I actually think the emphasis they're putting on their own intellects is just as bad. And they... You know, at least she's focusing on something not so narrow. And also the credentials that the other guy gives, I think it's a master's in Russian literature and a PhD in biochemistry, which doesn't Makes even sense. add up. <laughs> but it, Which I guess is the point, but it's also like, well, that actually has no relevance to a legal yeah. career. And it's like she's also saying something which, I mean, doesn't have much le- relevance to legal career, but at least it gives some insight into her personality, which... I think is the idea that passion is what m- actually drives your interest in law. Yeah. So. so we've decided it probably doesn't hold up. Com- I mean, out on a woke scale, if 10 is Jamila Jamil, I'm going to give this probably a 4. Really? Maybe a 5. Okay, I was, I was originally going to give it like a 6 or a 5. Okay, no, because I think there is a lot, but there's also a lot of... I think it's, it's it could be 50-50 for me. Because it seems like every stereotype they smash, there's another one. Okay, I I see, yeah. I think the reason I'm a bit fairer is because I'm probably seeing how this film was at the time it was released and, like, compared to other films. But I didn't mean... No, actually, true. By today's standards, okay, if it came out tomorrow, I just don't think this film would have success. But I just think that's because it's... I think it could but only if it was Reese Witherspoon at 24 again, because she just brings an energy to that film that... I think if it was written today, it would be a completely different film. Like, the jokes would... But, like, if it was, it would be a different film because the jokes would be different, what they're sending up would be different. And apparently Legally Blonde 3 is coming this year, that I've read, so we we can maybe watch that and then um, have another session, but... Uh, I'm holding my breath. Yeah, we can we can do a podcast on it. Um, well, we'll be back with another film. If there's anything you want us to talk about, yeah, any recommendations? Uh, I we don't have a hard and fast uh method of choosing films, but no, I guess we're mostly focusing on naughties at the moment and stuff that we remember seeing, especially together. 
Yeah. Um, so, but this one was interesting because its legacy is is demonstrable in the fact that it gave me confidence to think I could become a lawyer no matter where I came from or what I looked like. And it gave me the confidence to know that their last season's harder to eat. <laughs> Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Movies That Wrote Them. A special thanks to the Daydream Club who kindly let us use their track Square in this podcast. You can find Square and all of their other tracks on Spotify and Apple Music.